You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Koop. So we have been on a series called For All Eternity, and our key verse has been from Ecclesiastes. You see that on the front of your bulletin. You'll also see that at the back of the bulletin, there's a place where you can scan it at code if you have an iPhone uh, to get the notes. Otherwise, that's also on your handout this morning. I encourage you to pull that out and follow along as we're talking about living in the light of eternity. Our key verse from Ecclesiastes 3, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity on the, in their hearts. Colossians chapter 3, it says to set your mind on things above. So this past two weeks, we've been giving you a glimpse just of heaven, hoping that it will whet your appetite to pursue what is coming ahead for us. That as we're setting our sights on heaven and what it's really like, putting away the false precepts, the concepts of that, that it will motivate us to live. And we talked about um, the, that heaven is a real place. And what happens when the world distorts that? The Alpha Course that I talked about, I think, think of a quote that Nikki Gumbel, a story that Nikki Gumbel gives of a particular individual in that story by the name of Robert Taylor. Robert Taylor was interesting. On the very first night that he went to an Alpha small group, much like what we have here in our, in our Alpha group, he folded his arms and told his group very sternly, I don't really want to be here. And in fact, I almost died of cancer 30, when I was 30. And I find life pre- pretty miserable and not a whole lot of fun. And as far as I'm concerned, eternal life is the last thing that I want. And of course, there was a pall over the group. Everybody said, okay. But what happens was that he had a wrong perspective of what heaven is. Because to him, it seemed that I don't want what in a lot of our mental picture that we see heaven as a boring place, right? That heaven is just floating around. We're going to be so bored. There's nothing much to do. And we've been encouraging our church here that as we get a glimpse of what heaven really is like in our life group as well. I recall this past week, if you've been in life group, one of the questions was, what do you look forward most to in heaven? And somebody in our life group said, I look forward to food, Are we going to be eating in heaven? And you saw our picnic is food. And every time you read in the Bible, wherever Jesus is, there was a lot of parties and there's a lot of food. And I heard this teaching from a pastor that talked about that, that he asked his church, and I'll encourage you to do the same with me this morning, to think about your favorite food. I know it's it's 1130, it's getting close to lunch, so that's probably not too hard to do. You're probably already thinking about that. But your favorite food, just think about that. And he says that when we get to heaven... What you're thinking of right now is going to be incomparable to what you're going to get. Because that favorite food that you have right now, that you're thinking of, comes from what the Bible said, the ground that is cursed, is made with toil. And when we have a redeemed body in heaven, that our, our taste buds, I'm trying to picture this, that our taste buds will be redeemed. And we're eating redeemed food with a redeemed body that is going to be literally out of this world. And I know many of you are looking forward to that as well, yeah? But we want to talk about living in the light of eternity. And the fact that knowing that heaven is, in fact, our eternal home, how does that help us to live our life on earth today? And before we get to our key text this morning, I want to share a story with you. 
that when I was a second-year university student, as an engineering student at UBC, I had my first co-op work term, and my first position was a junior traffic technician. Okay, junior traffic technician with the city of Vancouver. And what I did all summer long was count cars. And you may have seen some of those students, they, they, set, they sit on the intersection on the lawn chair, they have a little board on their lap, and you just press the button. How many through traffic, how many left, how many right, and that's what we did every summer. Not terribly exciting, but it paid really well. And we, we got to just get a good tan sitting out in the sun. And on one particular afternoon, I was posted on the, you know, the Howe Street on-ramp onto Granville Street Bridge was where I was. So I was sitting in the middle of the bridge, and that's where my posting was that afternoon. We're counting how many cars are crossing the Granville Street Bridge. And a gentleman who appeared to look like a street person, was walking towards me. And when you count cars, they do prepare you that you get a lot of people that come up to you and ask you a whole bunch of questions, and they start to explain to you why uh, they should not be paying taxes to the city, and they tell, complaining about why the traffic was wrong with the traffic light, and we're giving the script how to respond to that and encourage them to move along and so that you can go back to your job. So this fellow came up to me and he looked at me and he said, what are you doing? And I explained to him that I work for the city. I'm here to count cars. Please leave me alone. I didn't say, please leave me alone. I was hoping that he would. And then he said to me, well, you're wasting your time. And I said, okay. And he proceeded to say that you see these buildings here, all these bridges, all these cars, you know what's going to happen? It's all going to burn. And I was like, okay, please leave me alone. And he, he bent over and looked me square in the eye, and he asked me, do you know Jesus? And a year earlier in my first year of university, those of you that do not know my testimony, I actually became a Christian on campus and has been involved with campus ministry since then. And it was in my first year that I did become Christian to a set of circumstances that I had more time I would share with you. And I was really uh, excited to tell him that, yes. So emphatically, I said, yes, I do know Jesus. At which point, he stood up and walked away. <laughs> now, the man may be strange, but what he said was actually the truth. And I started thinking about it. I started, this question wouldn't leave me, that what am I doing with my life? How should I live in light of eternity? Let's turn to Second Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 10. We're going to read from there. You can pull out your Bible for that. Otherwise, the, 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 the scripture is also in your notes this morning. And Peter here writes to the churches at that time, and he's writing to us this morning as well. And he says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. The guy's crazy, but he, he's been reading his Bible, right? And therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. So that's the question we want to cover this morning. How should we live in light of eternity? We have four points to share with you this morning. And the first one is to live with expectancy, to look forward. If you're filling out the blank, that's the first blank there, to look forward. And if you like inter- drawing a lot of things on your notes, and you will recognize that Peter used the phrase looking for three times in the verses 12 to 14. So you can do that. You can review from verses 12 to 14. The word looking for, looking forward, or look, carries the idea of expectancy, of waiting with alertness. The word in Greek is in the present tense, indicating that this is one's habit or lifestyle, that we are to continually look forward to what we're doing here in light of eternity. That the future, one of the examples I gave in the notes here, is that the future is like an anchor. That has been cast ahead of us and is pulling us into the future. Much like when you climb a mountain, for example, you would throw the ropes up at the top of the cliff and it would anchor you and it would pull you ahead. Another analogy I like to give is for those of you that have been to a 3D movie. How many of you have been to a 3D movie? Have you guys been to a 3D movie? You know, in 3D movies, um, I'm trying to find my 3D glasses. I have a pair here in my pocket. And you get one of these, right, when you go into the theater, 3D glasses. And you put these on. And these, these actually look decent. Remember those old ones where there's just a strip with the blue and the, and the red, and the colors look really funny? But technology has come a long way since then. And you put these 3D glasses on, and all of a sudden, a, a different perspective comes. And how, how does that work? Because obviously when you take it off, you can tell it's not actually 3D, right? The images look blurry. So how it works is that there's actually two simultaneous images that are projected on the screen. And it looked blurry because without these glasses, which are actually polarized. So it filters out in a way the light rays so that your left eye sees one image and your right eye sees another image. And when that's put together... Your brain sort of tricks you into thinking that there's an added dimension to it. So that's how things work. That it's the different perspective from each eye. And in a way, the kingdom of heaven that God talks about, that Jesus spoke so much about, is both now but not yet. That the kingdom of heaven is but also is to come. It's in the present but it's also in the future. So just as when you look at that 3D image without the glasses, it looks blurry. That sometimes when we look at our present circumstance, we look at the world, without his perspective, we don't understand. It looks blurry in a way. The last point there, as Christians living in the light of eternity, we wear the lenses of eternity, and we can see our present world with clearer focus. So where do we see the kingdom of heaven when we put it on? And I think wherever there is faith that's needed, wherever in a hopeless situation and you don't understand, God, where are you in this? We sang about that this morning, that some of the pain that we experience in this world that is not yet. But when we put on those glasses and we see, ah, God, there you are. 
I think of this movie that I watched recently, and some of you may have seen Soul Surfer. Uh, it's a very inspirational uh, film, a real, uh, a real life story of a young girl who lost her arm while surfing. It's not a spoiler alert. Okay, everybody knows, right? Like she lost her arm, it gets bitten off by a shark when she goes surfing. And but what happens is she didn't get a bionic arm attached and go on to win a lot of national surfing championship. But what she did have was an eternal perspective. And the movie actually, I think, downplays a lot of her faith. If you watch the documentary, which was also is on the special features on the DVD, is also put out a few years earlier. To see a 14-year-old girl who just lost her arm on the bed in the emergency uh, clinic the very next day on video saying that, I don't know why, but God must have a plan for me. And I think that is having a heavenly perspective. When we are faced in a situation that, whether it's in a marriage whether it's a job that you're believing for, and we see that in our church here over and over again, that when people put on that perspective, that God, I see you working. So I hope this morning that you will be encouraged as we go along to begin to start seeing things with that eternal perspective. Second point here, to live with devotion, to pursue holiness. The blank will be filled in there is the word holiness. Verse 11 that we read earlier, it says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Turn also, if you have a Bible with me, to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And a couple of verses that we will read also reinforces this point. And John writes, Beloved, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Talk about the not yet. We're not seeing it clearly yet. But we know that when He, when Jesus is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And verse 3, And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Like God often say, Be holy, for I am holy. And it is this idea that it is our hope in heaven, that our desire is filled by this hope. In the film, again, Soul Surfer, where Bethany was asked by some te- television reporters, do you think you will surf again? She was passionate about surfing. And she responded, she says that, I don't think, I know I'm going to surf again. She had a passion for surfing, and that was what motivated her. That was the hope that fueled her determination to go on. We had talked a lot about this book, Heaven, by Randy Alcorn, and one of the stories, an example that he gave in his book is a story of a couple that's preparing to get married. And you can read along with me. If my wedding date is on the calendar, and I'm thinking of the person I'm going to marry, I shouldn't be an easy target for seduction. Likewise, when I meditated on heaven, sin is not terribly appealing. It is when my mind drifts from heaven that sin seems attractive. That when we think of heaven, it leads inevitably to pursuing holiness. That our high tolerance for sin testifies of a failure to prepare for heaven. And in Hebrews 
chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 on your following page of your notes from a message translation here. I love this, where the author writes, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed away, all these veterans that are cheering us on from heaven. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. And pay attention to this. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. And study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That He never lost sight that we are to fix our eyes. I have this analogy that I'm going to share with you of a trip that I took with Frank and Pastor Dave to Whistler. I'm going to throw a photo up here for you. And we decided a couple of summers ago to go mountain biking at Whistler. And this is where you go downhill biking. That way you put on the full-on armor, full-face helmet. And that's Pastor Dave and Frank there. And you don't have to pedal. You take a chairlift up. And as you're riding up in the chairlift, we're having a good time. And right when you get to the top of there with a fantastic vista, and we were going on this trip to enjoy. And Pastor Dave was new to this. Okay, so Pastor Dave was new to this. So similar to skiing, for example, those of you that have gone, there's green runs, there's blue runs, and there's black runs with varying levels of difficulty, right? So because Pastor Dave was new, we decided to start it off easy for him. I said, Pastor Dave, let's just warm up. We'll do a couple of green runs with you. And he did really well. He, I think, had dirt biked all his life growing up, so he handled the downhill bike very well. So very quickly, we went to some blue runs and had a good time. On this one particular run, we were mapped it out that it was a blue run all the way. But halfway through the trail, the, it was closed. There was a sign saying trail under maintenance. And we couldn't go through that trail. So we had two options. One was to pedal back up. Who wants to do that, right? Who wants to pedal back up to get around? Or the other is to take a black run. So we asked Pastor Dave, Pastor Dave, you can either pedal back up or we can all go down this black run. And of course, Pastor Dave said that, yeah, let's do this black run. We'll do it. So we went ahead, and I'll show you a picture of this run. And we, uh, myself and, and Frank, we were a little bit ahead, uh, enough time that we could actually take out my camera. And I thought, hey, you know, we didn't take any photo. Let me pull out my camera as we're waiting for Pastor Dave to come down. We'll get a shot of him in action. So, and you know how when you're skiing through the trees, right? So those of you that do that, the key when you're skiing through the trees, is to look where you want to go. It's not to look at the trees. Because if you look at the trees, you know what happens, right? You hit the trees. You look at where you want to go. So in the same fashion, we told Pastor Dave, Pastor Dave, focus on where you need to go. Don't look at the rocks. Don't look at the roots. Don't look at the tree stump. Just focus on where you need to go. And Pastor Dave said, yes, okay, got it. Sit back on his seat, and he started riding down. And this next photo that I'm going to show you is the last one that I took that afternoon. And what happened was he hit a rock, launched himself over the handlebars, and flew about 12 feet in front. And me and, my, me and Frank were thinking, oh no, we killed our senior pastor on this trip. <laughs> that didn't happen. He's a man of God. Heavenly hosts are watching over him. He got up and he was fine. But the point of that story, as we read, was that we never lost sight. The analogy that Paul and Randy Elkhorn was talking about here, that you fix your eyes on where you need to go. You know how often when we talk about living with purity, living a life of holiness, that we're focused on the sin, whether it's 
an act, whether it's an impure thought, whether it's a sinful thought, we keep focus on that. How many of you know when you're fasting or trying to fast, two minutes in and you're already thinking about food? It's like, I don't want to eat, I don't want to, I don't yet, but you're thinking about the same time. But rather than being focused on the very thing that you're trying not to, you focus on where you need to go. So in a practical sense, how do we live that out? When we think on God, when we go to his word, when we, rather than just fighting and saying, I'm not going to think about that, we worship God. We put on a CD. We turn on, um, we bring out our guitar and we start singing. We start worshiping him. And we start focusing, realigning our mind on heaven, on his promises, on his truth, rather than just fixing our eyes on these things. I love NIV translation of Hebrews chapter 12. It says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race that's been marked out with us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We fix our eyes on him rather on the things that we're trying to overcome. And the third point here, to steward what God has entrusted to us. In Matthew 6, chapter 21, many of you are familiar with this. It says, Matthew writes, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That if you have a heart for heaven, that you would invest in it. That if you have a heart for the church, you would invest in it as well. And I'm pleased to report this morning of our team that's in Panama right now. Uh, our interns are there. Some of your uh, youth, some of your children are there in Panama. And we've been believing for the funds to come through to pay for that trip. And this is a generous church. And we know that your heart is in trusting in the church because we were able to raise the $45,000 that we need and then some to send them there. And they hit the ground running on Wednesday. The very first day they were doing open air ministry. They were at orphanages. They went to a police station in Panama where 300 police officers came up to listen to their presentation and almost all of them responded to the altar call to make a commitment or recommitment to the Lord. And that is what our youth, that is what our young adults are doing. And I want to commend the church. I want to commend you parents for investing in that. Because you know what's happening for those youth and interns is that they saw the kingdom of heaven at work there. That they saw how God could use them as a 15-year-old, as a 16-year-old to lead police officers, families, orphans in Panama to know Christ. And you know what? When they come back, they're going to have a different perspective. They're going to see things differently. And they're going to believe that they can do the very same thing here, that they will be forever changed. And aside from finances, where we invest our time and energy should also matter in the light of eternity as well. And Randy Alcorn had not only wrote uh, the book, Heaven, that we've talked about, but he also is a pastor and he teaches. And we found a clip. Uh, of uh, Pastor Randy Alcorn sharing on this point. So with no expenses spared, we've brought Randy Alcorn live via YouTube to you this morning, and he's going to uh, help me 
to share on this point of how we should steward what God has entrusted to us. So let's just watch this three-minute clip. There is a lot in life that is trivial, that is secondary. And, and now I'm not just even talking about the bad things. The bad things sometimes are fairly obviously bad. Uh, there are certain television programs and certain movies that uh, someone who's really committed to Christ would say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to watch that. But let's say you find all kinds of morally neutral television programming that doesn't have anything specifically bad in it. Well, you can waste your entire life watching it. You think about all the things that we know. You think of all the batting averages that, that maybe we know, and all. I'm a, I'm a football fan, so all of the, the guys that you know in football and the positions they play and where they went to college, and, and none of that is wrong. It's just that if that's the bigger part of your life, if you've got all of that memorized and you say, but, well, you know, I, I really don't have time to memorize Scripture and I'm really not very good at it, but you know all the words to Gilligan's Island or whatever, you know, then what that says is that you have used your mental abilities that God has given you and you've poured them into the secondary, the trivial. And so you might do really well on Jeopardy, but how are you doing in terms of really knowing the Word of God? So I think in the whole thing with the, the trivial end of things, and it relates also to where we invest our, our money, which is really God's money, is say, well, hey, what's important? What is going to last? And helping street children, uh, reaching out to people to feed the hungry, to feed, uh, needy, uh, feed and clothe needy children. This is stuff that Jesus said matters. He said, I I'm not going to overlook so much as a cup of cold water given to one who is thirsty, given to them in my name. And when you look at that, then you say, wow, that's where I want to invest. Because where your treasure is there, your heart will be also, Jesus said. So if you want a heart for Microsoft, buy up shares of Microsoft. If you want a heart for the kingdom of God, then give to plant churches in India. And if you want a heart for suffering people, there's an earthquake in India. And if you've given to plant churches in India, then you'll get down on your knees and you'll pray for those people because you have invested in the work of God in their lives. But if your investments are all in your car and your boat and your house and your lifestyle and your retirement funds, then what are you going to have a heart for? Well, wherever you put your treasure. So you got a heart for your retirement fund, you got your heart for your boat, you got your heart for your uh, car and for your house. But Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So our money needs to be invested in God, the kingdom of God, the people of God, unsaved people, unreached people who need to hear the scripture in their own language, and where our treasure is, our heart will be also. So you want a heart for God's kingdom? Give to God's kingdom. You want a heart for the local church? Give to the local church. That's a challenging message, isn't it? That as we think about how heaven should affect our activities, our ambition, and a few more quotes from Randy Alcorn that's in your note here that our recreation and friendships and the way we spend our money and time should be government or governed or shaped by our view on eternity, that these activities, ambitions, recreation, and friendship, they're not bad. They're not inherently bad. But yet, there are so... I think about recreation in our world today. There's just so much of it. There's so many different options. There's so many things that can 
pull us away from the things that God has for us. That what Randy Alcorn and what our message this morning, the challenge to you is that we would have that perspective on what are the things that matters eternally, that have an eternal consequence or benefit to it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, uh, what Paul writes on this issue where a lot of the early church or the Pharisees are always challenging him and challenging Jesus on was that, well, can I do this? I'm not breaking any law. Can I do this? They're trying to circumvent their ways around the laws. But Jesus is all, of course, talking about the issues of the heart. And then Paul writes here that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. So we run that through that grid that this is not sin, this is not evil, but is it beneficial? Is it constructive? Is it beneficial for my spiritual walk? Is it beneficial for my marriage? Is it beneficial for my family? Is it beneficial for our community or for our church? I have this quote in your notes that Christianity is not about living a good life. It is about living the best life. You know how often when we have that skewed perspective that being a Christian means, or not being a Christian, but you have this perspective where you're trying to delay I want to do all the things I want to do in this life. But heaven is good, and I want to get in there as well. I just want to do it the very last moment that I can and make sure that right before I need to move on, I have that ticket to get into the eternal life. But that's a skewed perspective because they fail to see that the best life on earth, not just in heaven, is one where you live serving God. And I don't know anybody that genuinely has a relationship with God, with Jesus, that would say, I really wish, Pastor James, that I gave my life to the Lord a lot later because it's just been bad. What I do hear from a lot of people is, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I wish I had this perspective earlier that I did not have to go through that. And that's the perspective, that we believe not only that the eternal life has all this goodness, but the kingdom of heaven is here, and it is now. And that's the final point that we have for you this morning. Number four, be diligent to do the business that Jesus asked us to do. Be diligent to do the business. And Luke chapter 19, verse 13, here, I don't have time to give the full context of it uh, fully. It's a sermon by itself. But this is one of many uh, parables by Jesus where he gives a, a foreshadowing of the end times. It's one of the end times parable that Pastor Dave's going to teach on next week on Jesus and eternity, where he tells of this parable of a master that is going away, but is going to come back. But as the master has, before he left, that he's entrusted certain things. He's entrusted these minas to the servant. And so he called This master had called 10 of his servants, delivered to them 10 minas, and said to them, do business till I come. And of course, the parable goes on. When the master returned, he found that the one that had 10 made 10 more. He was rewarded. The one that had 5 made 5 more. Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. And on the one of them that had 1 did not do anything with it, got rebuked by Jesus. And that's the teaching that Jesus is saying that when I come back, 
The idea is not to get rid of everything you have, head for the hills. Remember that story when I was shared earlier when the man came to me while I was counting cars and he asked that question, that this is a waste of time, that what you're doing because this is all going to burn. And that somehow stuck with me and I thought, well, how am I living my life in light of eternity? So I didn't quit that job. I didn't quit my school. I went on, I finished my engineering degree at UBC and I always felt that calling on my life to go into full-time ministry, vocational ministry. When I finished my degree, I said, Lord, is this when you want me to be a full-time campus minister? And I didn't feel the peace about that. So I went on and I worked as an engineer. And for the next um, eight and a half years, I was working as a project engineer and enjoyed that. And that was what God was calling me to and the skills and um, the uh, relationships that I got to build all through that experience all came back to be useful. The business that God had for me there that three and a half years ago, that door opened for me to be here to take on a vocational minister position here to serve in the church. And that is about God's business. And I also married uh, my wife, Michelle, of almost 11 years. And my business was being a husband. And that was God's calling on me to be a husband. That was God's calling on me to be a father of two beautiful girls right now. And how does the light of eternity help me? How does the light of eternity help you? How do these glasses help you to live that life here right now when you have your perspective in that? And there are so many practical ways when you really think about it that what motivates me to turn back and to tell my wife, Honey, I'm, I'm sorry I said that. Honey, I'm sorry I reacted that way because I started seeing the eternal perspective. How I'm able to think it's okay, I can put down my work that I need to do for a half hour to spend time with my children because there's an eternal significance to that. And there's so many other things that we lose sight of, we see in the immediate, but God has this other world, just like we talked about, that we don't see it clearly now, but when we have those lenses of eternity, we see in a different perspective, and it helps us to do the things that he's called us to do. And turn to Hebrews on your last page there, Hebrews chapter 6. I want this to be an encouragement for you all. But the author writes, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown towards his name that many of us here think about the story that Pastor Dave told about the missionary that went abroad and came home, and he was discouraged that he did not receive the acknowledgement. He did not receive the praise from the people. But God spoke to him. He said, you are not home yet. That we're encouraged for young parents, uh, new parents, mom and dad, that be encouraged that the Lord will not forget the work that the labor that you did, waking up at 3 a.m. in the morning to change the diaper of your child, to feed your child, that when you have that eternal perspective, that, that encourages you to think of those that serve in the church. Even, even this morning when we're gathered, and I just thought, thought of this, that we have a group of volunteers that show up at church bright and early morning, cheerful, and just ready to serve. Why? Because they have an eternal perspective, that you couldn't pay employees money to do that, but yet 
all these volunteers come and they serve in the church. They give up their time on a Sunday morning. They give up their effort to be here. Why? Because they have an eternal perspective. They see the kingdom of heaven that is working here. What are some of the other ways that we see the kingdom of earth, kingdom of heaven working on earth here? Perhaps it's in our community. Those of us that give of our time, our effort, and hopefully we're being challenged, hopefully we're encouraged to now have this perspective that, God, what do you want me to do? Matthew chapter 6, this last uh, scripture here today that I'm going to share with you that many of you are familiar with is the Lord's Prayer. So why don't we pray just these two verses together on the count of three. Let's read this out loud on your last page. One, two, three. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this idea that God's will is done where? On earth as it is in heaven. The idea of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And the question, where do we see the kingdom of heaven on earth? Where do we see the kingdom of heaven on earth? We touched on some of these this morning. People that give of their resources to serve others. The missions trip in Panama that we talked about. That Why would somebody give of their time, their vacation, to go abroad to a land to minister to a group of people they do not know? What motivates them to do that? It's the kingdom of heaven. How does a group of recovery, I don't want to say recovering addicts or recovering alcoholics because they're recovered addicts or recovered alcoholics that are now serving in the community. How does that happen? Because of the kingdom of heaven. How about marriages and family that are restored because of that? Just when everything, the circumstances in the world are saying that that's a hopeless situation. He, she will never change. You will never be a good father. You'll never be a good mother. And this morning, put on those lenses. Put on those lenses of eternity, and you start to see a different perspective. And I, as I put those on, and I see, God, I, I see the hurt. God, I see the hurt in that other person. Oh, God, I see the brokenness in me. That is why I reacted that way. And that is what motivates you, gives you the grace to turn back and to forgive or to ask for forgiveness and allow God to do what he does best, and that is to restore, to reconcile. And all that happens as evidence of the kingdom of heaven that's here on earth. And you know what? The church, you, you're the kingdom of heaven that's going to be on earth. How will the world see the kingdom of heaven? How will the world see the kingdom of God? Jesus talks about this a lot, that he will see it through you and me, by your speech, by your actions by your lifestyle, how we live our lives, that people should see us and say, that is different. It doesn't make sense to me. Just like that 3D image, that doesn't make sense to me. Why would you do that? Why would you forgive that person? Why would you, how did you get that seemingly hopeless situation to be turned around? It's because we have our hope in the eternal. We have the hope in our Heavenly Father. I want to close with this story this morning. It's Billy Graham the famous evangelist. He tells the story of Albert Einstein, right? We all know Albert Einstein, a famous uh, scientist. And Albert Einstein was on a particular trip and for out-of-town engagement. He was on a train traveling there. And as a conductor was coming through in the cabin looking for the tickets, 
Albert Einstein was quite embarrassed because he was busy with his work, and he started to rummage through his pockets. He couldn't find his ticket to give to the conductor. At which point, the conductor went up to him and said, Dr. Einstein, it's okay. I know who you are. We all know who you are, and I'm pretty sure you bought a ticket, so don't worry about it. It's okay. And the conductor went on to punch tickets of the other passengers that were on the train. As he got to the end of the cabin, he looked back, and at this point, Dr. Einstein was on his knees, on his hand. He was looking underneath the seat, trying still to find his ticket. So the conductor went back to him, and he said, Dr. Einstein, as I've said before, we all know who you are, and we're pretty sure you bought a ticket. It's okay. Don't worry about it. And Albert Einstein stood up, and he looked at the conductor, and he said, I, too, know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. (laughs) And the question that I believe God is asking today for us before we go is that, do you know who you are? More importantly, do you know whose you are? Do you know who you belong to? And secondly, do you know where you're going? Do you know where you're going? Do you know where God is calling you to? The last verse uh, from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Peter writes here. Let's go back to that on your first page. Verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, we look forward to the things we talked about, be diligent to be found by him. Be diligent in doing his business, to be found by him, Jesus, in peace, without spot, and blameless. And it is not by what we do, it is not by our own strength that we can come before him without spot and blameless. That is something that Jesus has already paid for us. That as we accept him, as as we receive him, that we can appear on that day when he is back to be without spot and to be blameless. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.